the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. want to remind you that if you'd like to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process... Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And don't forget to join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley on Money Mondays every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. And that recording you can always find at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com. Hi, Josh. Many people are concerned about higher taxes in the future. So how do we properly prepare for I guess it's not even a possibility. It's a fact uh, from a financial perspective. One, you know, there's no perfect solution, but you can make an impact. And I think oftentimes when I talk to people, they want the perfect solution. You know, I had heard that Roth IRA conversions are the best idea ever, and I want to do all of those. Um, When in reality, that's not really a plausible thing to do. You really shouldn't, you know, do all of your money into a Roth conversion for most people it would be financially a foolish decision, not a great one. So there is no perfect solution for everybody. It's individual for everybody. But the other thing to take note of is it's incredibly easy for us to assert that tax rates will go up forever, you know, moving forward now because of, uh, you know, we've been doing stimulus spending and because we have deficit spending in general and because we have all of these, you know, entitlement programs coming up. And clearly the only way we're going to be able to pay for those is higher taxes, and and I'm certainly not debating that. All of those things are true. Uh, Taxes will, in fact, more than likely have to go up or changes will have to be made to uh, these programs or to our taxes in general. But really, if you look at historical tax rates over time, it doesn't seem to be the case. They ebb and flow. So again, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't plan for increases of taxes in the future and into your retirement years. But historically speaking, Taxes have really gone all over the map. You know, if you go back to the 1980s, you go back to the 70s, they've gone up and down and up and down and up and down. What has not changed, however, is, um, you know, the general uh, the general change in the fact that our lives will over time get more expensive and that over time taxes are going to be an issue for us. And what I mean by that is, Inflation is definitely always a concern. It's a matter of how much it's going to go up. And then based upon inflation, we'll have to take more money out of our retirement accounts to be able to live off of, which in turn, when we take out more money, we have to take more 
uh, into account for taxes. So I think the goal ultimately, um, to answer your question, and you know, how do we prepare for the possibility of, of higher taxes in the future? I, I believe you're asking about, you know, as time goes on in our retirement years, and I think uh, in our final saving years towards retirement, what we should do, make sure we're taking advantage of all the tax deferred investing that we can, but at the same time, not putting everything in tax deferred investments, because that could create a huge tax problem when we reach retirement. And by that, I mean, you know, most people are saving the lion's share, if not all of their investments, into 401ks. And 401ks are great investments because oftentimes they have matches, but more importantly, you put money in on a tax-deferred basis. So you didn't pay taxes on it today. It grows tax-deferred, but in the future, it's taxable. And not only is it taxable, but at certain ages, the government will require that you take money out of those investments. And that can cause a whole host of problems because you're required and you have no control. So the objective or what you should be focusing on is not just your 401k, but what are some other vehicles that are taxed differently? A Roth IRA being one of them. I had mentioned a Roth IRA conversion, but even a contributory Roth. The difference between a 401k and a Roth is that a Roth grows tax deferred, but you put after tax dollars into it, then it grows tax deferred. So you're not getting a great benefit today, Diane, but in the future, every dollar you pull out of it is tax-free. So if you can think kind of simplistically about maybe a better strategy than putting all of your money into a 401k, it would be maybe some goes into a Roth IRA or something like a Roth IRA, and something goes into your tax-deferred investing, and then when you retire, you have choices. Some of my income will be taxable. Some of it will either be less taxable in the way of non-qualified dollars or tax-free in the way of for example, a Roth IRA. And that way I have a little bit more control over how and when I pay taxes based upon these ebbs and flows of the way tax rates are. Maybe they'll be high forever. Maybe there'll be a time when it's more advantageous. For example, over the last four years, it's actually been a great time to take income out. So we've been doing a lot of Roth conversions over the last four years because taxes have been very good for that type of scenario. That might not be the case for the next four, eight, 10, 12 years. So we want to be able to live throughout those years with other income options should tax rates go up. So very long-winded answer to there's no perfect answer, but you have to take a tactical, systematic approach to give yourself options so that you can take advantage of different tax scenarios as they come up over the upcoming years. Josh, you mentioned the deficit and the fact the government is giving out all these stimulus packages because of the pandemic. What happens, and we, we borrow a lot of money from other countries, what happens when, I mean, can these other countries, can China just say, hey, all that money's due now, or how does that process work? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's a complicated answer in a very short window of time, but ultimately, what could happen is more than likely, will we default on that debt, meaning that you know China says we want all that money now, and they can't say they want all that money now. But what they, because there's terms to these loans, right? Just similarly, your car loan company can't call you today and say, I know we loaned you this money over six years, five years, but you need to send us all the money right now. That's just not okay with the contract. But what they have been doing is allowing us to continue to roll that forward. Meaning, let's say that you had a one-year car loan. And after one year, you go, you know, I really didn't pay off the car loan. I've just been paying interest. Well, you loan me another one year worth of the car loan. And another one year and another one year. At some point, they can say no. The other thing that could happen 
is at some point interest rates could start to climb and our debt position on the imagine if your car loan you borrowed it and you said well i can afford uh you know five hundred dollars a month in interest and then in one year interest rates have gone up and now it'll be six hundred dollars a month and you go oh no well i can i can hang with that and then the next year when you go to renew it again it's 700 and then 800 that could become a problem where we could actually just not be able to afford our debt position now again do i think that that'll happen probably not what'll probably end up happening is we'll print money to continue to pay for that well what does that do well in simplistic terms because there's more moving parts than this if you consistently print money you're injecting more money into the economy well when there's more supply than there is demand Inflation happens when it comes to monetary policy. So I think ultimately the risk that we're running here, Diane, is inflation. And also the downgrade of us as a country would be the next logical conversation to have, which is obviously a fearful one, where if you think about you know, grades in school right now, the, the U.S., is, as far as creditworthiness, is an A+. plus. Well, God forbid we become a B or a C, and we certainly don't want to be a, we certainly don't want to be a D student. So... I think inflation is is probably our biggest risk, maybe not right away, but in the long run. That was going to be my next question. want to let everybody know if you'd like to give Josh a call, his number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. How much should people worry about inflation in retirement? Well, you know, if we look at inflation historically, um, since we've kind of been measuring it, it's been about 3%. But there have certainly been times where inflation's been a lot more. And those, have been, uh, those of us who've been around a little while can probably think back to some of those times. You know, there's a, a period of time in the 80s when, you know, you'd go to uh, buy a house and your, your interest rate on in your house was 18% and you could get a CD at the bank paying 21. That's inflation. Things got very, very expensive. Now, over the last 20, 25 maybe even 30 years, it's kind of been a non-issue. We've been, you know, running at 2.5%, so it's not really been a big deal. But could inflation like that come back? Well, we'd be naive to believe that it couldn't. Do we want to come up with all the reasons why it can't? Of course, because it sounds awful to think of inflation rates or interest rates being that high. But would that have an impact on our economy, and would it have an impact on your retirement? A very, very significant one. So how do we plan for that? Very complicated answer and a lot of, a, a lot of uh, as many questions as there are answers. And we'd have to spend probably an hour just talking about one person's scenario to talk about how we would combat inflation. But you need to absolutely take it into account. And maybe uh, you know later on today, if we have some more time, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into inflation more specifically. But note that inflation looks like it could be a bigger problem over the next 40 years than it has been over the, well, let's say the next 30 years, than it has been over the last 30 years. And coupled with that potential risk, we have much lower interest rates than we've had over the last 30 years, which causes its own set of problems in the way of providing income, much less income that will offset inflation. So we have some challenges ahead of us doesn't mean that they're uh, unconquerable, but they're, they're pretty significant challenges. What can people do when they call you? Because each individual scenario is different. Um, let's talk about the Aptus Blueprint process and what you take new, new clients through when, when they first call you. 
we talk about this. Oftentimes I'm found in the, I, I find myself in the constraints of our time together. I can't necessarily dive in, you know, deep into every scenario. And, and you hesitate to say this is the perfect one size fits all answer. And the reason for that is everybody's situation is certainly different. And through the blueprint process, <clears throat> we want to find out everything there is to know about you and what is the answer that fits you. Not the one size fit all, fits all answer, but the answer that fits you. So step one, let's find out everything about you. What are your goals? What are your objectives? Everybody's different. Um, I have a client that lives, he's got plenty of money, lives out of a car, travels around the country, climbing, climbing mountains and running ultra marathons. And then I have other clients that their retirement dream is to you know, live in a five-star uh, hotel for the rest of their life. So everybody's different. And then what have you done up to this point to try and accomplish those things? And what are you continuing to do in the way of savings? And then in meeting number two, I'm going to show you what risks are you taking? What are some potential uh, potholes along the road to your retirement that could get in the way? And what are some areas where we may be able to improve uh, upon what you're doing? And this will give you a couple, a couple of things. One, what can I improve? And am I on track or what do I need to do to get back on track? And then in meeting three, we call it the blueprint. We're going to answer all of those questions. How do we fine tune what you're doing to make sure that your financial house gets built uh, with a strong foundation appropriately, et cetera. And then on until meeting four, Diane, do we decide, is this a mutually beneficial relationship for both of us? Uh, do we want to work together? Uh, don't know the answer to that question uh, in meeting one, meeting two, or maybe even meeting three, but I promise you by the meeting four, uh, we'll have a very good idea as to whether or not it makes sense. And even if it doesn't, you will have learned a tremendous amount and hopefully be on a better track. Josh's number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. When we come back, more of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Josh, conceptually, what are the differences between uh, trading and investing? That's an interesting question because it's one that actually came up on Bruce's show on Monday this week. And I I think the best example that I can give is if you were starting a business, most people would understand that businesses aren't, you know, 100% profitable right out of the gate. Let's say we started a restaurant. We would have to buy a lot of stuff. We'd have tables and ovens, et cetera. And there would be a period of time where we would probably calculate a break-even point. We would say things like, you know, if we can get over this hump, then we're going to be profitable and we're going to be good. 
And that's an investment. Everybody knows that. I'm making an investment into this business. I'm making an investment into myself. And things take time. However, it seems like today, much of the conversation is not about making an investment into a company because that's essentially what you're doing when you're investing. You're saying, I have looked at uh, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, whatever the company is, I have looked at this company and I believe that when I look at their strong balance sheet and I know what they're about to do, I know how long they've been around, that this is a viable investment for a long period of time. It's not what they're doing. They're watching, uh, you know, CNBC and saying, uh, where, where are the plays that I can make today? You know, based upon the new infrastructure deal, uh, what's a better buy, John Deere or XYZ company? And the reality is what you're trying to do is you're trying to ride a wave. Um, you're not spending as much time, and I'm not picking on John Deere, by the way. I think John Deere's a great company. It's been a great company for a really long time. So it might qualify with what I just said as far as a long-term investment, but that's not really the conversation. The conversation is, how can I make a quick buck on a short-term thing that's happening? So over the next six months, what do I believe is going to happen in the economy that's going to allow me to ride a wave, not based upon the the way the company is run or the long-term viability of the company, but external factors that are impacting that company that's going to make a quick hit off of that company? That is trading. And while trading, you know, we know we've heard of traders that have done very, very well in the short run and uh, all the advertisements that we get on Facebook and Instagram or whatever, you know, social media platform you're on is, you know, this trader bought Amazon when it was at six bucks a share and now he's a bazillionaire. Learn how to buy three stocks and never have to work again. Uh, Well, one, if I was so good at picking stocks uh, and I was making a billion dollars every time I traded, Why would I sell $99 memberships to teach other people how to do it? I would just be on my private island making billions of dollars every day. So I question the authenticity of their their arguments. But nevertheless, uh, those are traders. And traders uh, sometimes win, sometimes lose. But in the long run, history has proved itself that being a short-term trader is usually not a very good plan. That does not mean that you cannot make minor adjustments that have impactful meaning on your plan by looking at patterns, trends, et cetera. But just simply trading rather than investing is akin to gambling. So I would very much uh, caution people on doing that. And there's some inherent downsides to trading as well. Uh, For example, there's tax benefits to buying and holding in certain asset classes um, and in certain tax qualifications. Um, You know, there are detriments to, to selling quickly, you actually end up paying short-term gains rather than long-term gains. Um, you know, the media makes it really hard, Diane, because the media will continue to tell you that there's a better way and you're either missing the boat or being foolish for not doing this or the smart money is doing it this way. And remember, the media's job is to get you to watch the media and saying buying and holding these uh, mutual fund stocks, ETFs, whatever it might be for the long run, Well, their segments get real short when they just say, this looks good, good talk, we'll catch back up with you tomorrow. Right. We need a a show that points out exactly where they were wrong. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. You know, it's funny, uh, Jim Bogle, who started Vanguard, he was very kind of famous for saying he wished that uh, financial statements, you only got one. So you sign up with Vanguard or whatever, you know, company, 
you put your money in it, and you tell them when you're going to retire. And that's the next statement you receive. And he kind of joked, he said, you know, at that meeting, when you get that last statement, you're going to need two things. One, you're going to need a letter opener to open up your statement. And number two, you're going to need a, a, a cardiologist to deal with your heart attack for how much money you have. That our biggest challenge is that we screw things up on our own by trying to be too darn smart. Just leave it alone. Let it does what, do what it does. Invest wisely and, and, and go on with your day. Now, I think he was being a little dramatic for effect, of course. I think there's you need to be a little bit better steward of your money than that and keep a closer eye on it. But nevertheless, I think we, we try and be traders rather than investors. Well, and I think there's so many ways to get information now. And people are encouraged to, you know, research themselves that it's almost an overload and gets them into confusion. And whatever happened to just trust the expert? Yeah, well, I think, you know, a little information can be more dangerous than none, because sometimes we believe that we're smarter than we are. And by no means am I discouraging Have you, anybody. Do you know my exes? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> by no means am I discouraging people from getting an education. Obviously, the more we know, the better, right? I don't want to go to the uh, to get my car fixed and somebody sell, sell me headlight fluid because I don't know any better. Obviously, a little of information is, is very important because it allows us to make wise decisions about the experts that we select and put on our team to take care of certain areas of our life. Knowing a little bit about your car is helpful in picking the mechanic that works on your car. And similarly, Knowing a little bit about finance or a lot about finance is very helpful in picking the appropriate team or path that makes the most sense for you moving forward with your investment and retirement picture. Speaking of that, when you're picking a financial advisor, there's a lot of letters after some names. Same thing in real estate. We have GFI, da 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 da, and our clients are like, what do these mean? When letters after names for financial advisors, what, what do those mean? And how does that help us select the right person? Well, one, I think anytime you see those letters after a name, what you're really recognizing is that they've taken steps, that particular professional has taken steps to further their education, which is always a good thing. Now, I will caution you, and I'm sure this is true in your industry as well, Diane, but some of them are just phony baloney. I mean, they're just nonsense. All you know, of some ours. of these letters, I, what's that? I said in real estate, all of ours are. All phony. of yours? <laughs> yeah. At least yours are I mean, CPA. That's definitely, uh, definitely credible. Oh, and let's let's go through some of them that have an incredible amount of validity. So CPA means certified public accountant. If you need tax advice, you will be hard-pressed to find somebody that's better than a CPA, right? That means a lot. That, that designation carries weight. A CFA or a chartered uh, financial analyst, very difficult examination, held in high regard in our industry, Basically, if you wanted somebody to be a money manager on your behalf, meaning they are running your mutual fund for you, a CFA would be very important. Ironically, very few CFAs are going to become financial planners because they want to manage the funds rather than manage the relationship and do the planning. CFP is kind of the jack-of-all-trades financial planner to all. Very highly regarded, very difficult examination, stands for Certified Financial Planner. They will have a very broad understanding of financial planning as it relates to everything from educational college planning all the way through estate planning. Very broad breadth of information. Another one uh, is RICP, um, ironically the uh, designation that I hold. But 
RICP stands for Retirement Income Certified Professional. So think about taking that CFP and the one exam that covers uh, retirement income planning, break that into a lot of exams, meaning that you are focusing the lion's share of your efforts on learning things like Social Security, retirement income taxation, developing retirement income portfolios, uh, risk management in portfolios, specifically as it relates to retirement. So would an RICP know a lot about how to fund uh, your kids' education and college funding? Well, they might, but it certainly wasn't from that designation, and so on and so forth. And there's ones for, you know, the insurance world and uh, an IAR is an investment advisor representative, which means that they're a fiduciary, which I also am. And there's all these different designations. But then uh, in turn, there's also some of the what I consider to, to be pay to play designations. You know, the more letters I have after my I have after my name, the better. So uh, why don't I just start my own organization? We'll call it the, you know, the super awesome financial representative organization. We'll come up with a really cool plaque. Send us five hundred dollars and say that you want to be better, and we'll send you a cool plaque. So I caution people on just looking at letters and saying, ah, they had letters, they must be really good at what they do. That's not the end-all, be-all, just like it wouldn't be in your industry. But I would say, you know, look for RIA, IAR. That means they're, they're in the fiduciary space. CPA, CFP, CFA, RICP, very good ones. They relate to... Um, financial planning, basically, and they're kind of held in the high regard, issued by giant organizations like the American College and, you know, the the Certified Public Accountants Association and all these big, well-respected organizations. Those tests are difficult, and the ethical standards and continuing education requirements are very stringent. You know that you're getting with somebody that takes their profession very seriously and probably has a significant background in what they do. So again, Josh, which ones are ones that don't really, really matter? You know, I, I hesitate to say who they are because I certainly don't want to give them press. But if you see, you know, I think most people, as they do any research whatsoever, so you, you Google what to look for in a financial planner or an investment advisor or, you know, insert kind of keyword, things that will pop up will be CPA, CFP, RICP, investment, you know, IAR for an investment advisor representative. Those are the big ones that mean something. But if if you find somebody that says I'm a, you know, QRXYZ and, uh, you know, and you look it up and you go, I've never even heard of this and I don't know what it is. Um, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Maybe you just haven't heard of it. But Yeah, so if you're thinking um, WTF, then it's really probably not anything that's... <laughs> right. Why the face? What? No, that's not what that stands for. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, use your better judgment, but know that just because it's letters doesn't mean that, it, that it's an MBA or an RICP or a CFP. It's just letters. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300 to schedule your own personalized planning session. Also want to remind you that you can join Josh every Monday for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley. That's 6 p.m. every Monday on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick when we come back. 
If you're concerned about the market and you want to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, call our office to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today at 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space fills fast. Give us a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, Mark Twain is quoted as saying, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Along that line and what we were talking about earlier in the show, what are things you find that people often believe they know that they clearly don't once they've talked to you? I think the the biggest one that comes up literally all the time is taxes. Um, And and I, I, I don't fault people for that because darned if taxes aren't hard to figure out. And the resources to figure them out aren't plentiful. Um, it, you know, you, you go to your your investment advisor and you say, I'd really like some advice on taxes and how it relates to my Social Security benefits or income that I'm receiving from an annuity. And your tax pro says, I, you know, I, I don't do invest or you go to your investments and they say, I don't do taxes. And then you go to your tax person, and they say, I don't do investments. And then you're left trying to interpret the information. So then you Google it. And you wonder, well, is the, the resource that I'm getting this from actually a reliable resource? So, you know, the things that I hear all the time is, my, is my tax rate going to be higher when I retire than it is today? I don't know. Or are Social Security uh, benefits taxable? Or I'm going to get money from an annuity or a pension. Is that going to be taxable? And they just don't know the answer. Or they heard an answer from somebody at work, and they just assumed it was right even though, quite frankly, that person from work heard it from another person, and it was just a long game of telephone, and by the time it came to you, who the heck knows? And then the unfortunate reality is, regardless of whether or not that person was right, it might not be right for you. I'll give you an example. Social Security, is it taxable? The correct answer is maybe, which isn't a very good answer because it sounds like I'm dodging the question, but I'm not. Social Security is a very weird animal uh, in that you are taxed on it based upon your outside income, meaning if you're living exclusively off of Social Security, you pay no federal income taxes on your Social Security benefit whatsoever. Zero. Nada. However, if you're collecting Social Security and you also have a pension that pays you $75,000 a year, then not only is your pension more than likely taxable unless you have the rare tax-free pension, but 85% of your Social Security is probably taxed as well. Because up to 85% of your Social Security can, in fact, be taxed based upon the level of your outside income. So that advice that you got from the person at the gym or uh, the person at the church, whoever you're talking to, that said, nope, only 10% of my Social Security is taxable, that might hold true for them. 
but that might not have any bearing on you whatsoever. So this misinformation ends up kind of getting out into the ether and filling people's heads, and then they run around and talk about it like it's the gospel. So while it might be correct, it's not necessarily correct for you. I think that's that Mark Twain quote, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the other one that I often hear, and I'm going to blame my own industry for this, is you're going to need a percentage of your pre-retirement income in post-retirement, meaning... Well, I current for easy math, we use this. I, I make $100,000 a year now, and I was watching CNBC, and they said I need 80%. Well, that means that uh, I need $80,000 a year. And then they told me this thing called the 4% rule, which means I can't pull out more than 4% of my gross uh, you know, investments. So I need to have $2 million to retire. And that just ain't necessarily so. Meaning... Um, if you're living on a hundred thousand, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're living on that equivalent. What if you're saving fifty thousand dollars a year? Well, that doesn't necessarily. You're, you're clearly not living on eighty grand a year. Fifty grand's going directly to your savings. So that's a unique answer to everybody as well. So I think the takeaway here is people try to get a better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing in preparation for this. Uh, thing we call retirement. And they're trying to garner or glean information from various sources. And those various sources are typically, unfortunately, trying to sell you something. So they come up with these catchphrases. Um, you know, you need 80% or make sure you do a Roth conversion or, you know, make sure you do planning so that XYZ happens. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's just catchphrases that apply to a certain percentage of the population that may have no impact on you. But circling back around, the biggest error that I see in retirement income planning is the lack of planning for taxes. Taxes are a very, very important piece of the puzzle. We've heard it a million times. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. So the goal is not just how do I derive the correct amount of income that I need, but how do I do that in the most tax-efficient way? And that is the biggest gap in people's knowledge base for retirement planning. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, let's talk about 401k. So let's say you're making a career change. Do you leave your 401k with the company you formerly were at? What are, what are some choices people have? This is, this is a, a, a big conversation right now, and I believe that um, the fiduciary standards are going to jump up quite significantly on this because the belief of most financial institutions in the past was always roll it over to an IRA. And uh, obviously the reason behind that is, uh, you know, if your money's with a 401k company, how can an investment advisor or a financial planner or a commission-based salesperson uh, make any money off of the money that you have if it's sitting in your 401k? So we need to roll it to a self-directed IRA so we can put it in our commission-based funds. It doesn't apply to me, of course, because you know I'm a fiduciary and I get paid for advice rather than commissions. But um, you need to do a net-to-net analysis of what your objectives are, what your choices are inside of your 401k, and does it make sense? Because your choices are this. For most people, it's different per plan, of course, but for most people, you can leave your money in your old 401k. Some companies require that you take it out in a certain period of time, but for the most part, you can leave it in your 401k or you can roll it to your new 401k more than likely, or you can roll it to an IRA. 
Now, by the using the terminology roll, if you don't know what that means, rolling or transferring means that you continue to defer the tax liability. So the, everything that I'm talking about is a non-taxable event. It just continues to grow tax deferred until you end up needing the money in retirement. But that's part of the discussion. There's other parts of the discussion. The investments that I have available inside of my 401k, are there things about them that I can't get anywhere else that I like? Or conversely, the 401k that I had, was it not really what I was looking for in relation to my goals and objectives? For example, Let's say I was with a company that had a 401k that only had a few options in it. And all of those options, for the most part, were pretty aggressive. And I was a year or two years out from retirement. I didn't like what I was seeing in the economy. I was nervous about retirement. And I wanted to pull back the reins a little bit on my risk. I would like to invest in something very conservative. It would make me feel better. And I've already done the math and know that I don't have to have a lot of market exposure to reach my objective. But it's not available where I am. Well, then obviously having the ability to roll it to an IRA is hugely advantageous for you. Or I would really like to work with a fiduciary, get some advice, and have them manage my account because I feel more comfortable and more confident about my retirement with some professional doing it rather than me hodgepodge picking my options that are available inside of my 401k. All of these would be great reasons to roll to an IRA. The other reason that kind of gets overlooked that kind of circles us back to the tax conversation is if you have this hodgepodge of 401ks everywhere, and it is not the days of old where people work for companies for 40, 50 years and then retire, many people have had you know, a dozen jobs by the time they retire, sometimes more. If you have all of your money inside of an IRA at some point in the future, at age 72, I know that seems like a long way off for some, but... At 72, you have to start taking minimum required distributions. If you do not take your correct minimum required distribution, it is a 50% penalty at the IRS level. Now, a little known fact is that while if you have 30 IRAs, you can aggregate all those IRAs together. Meaning as long as you, let's say I had to take 40,000 out because I had a million dollars roughly, I can take 40,000 from one of my IRAs and it counts for the whole. But if I have 12 different 401ks, I cannot take that 40 out of one of my 401ks. I have to take the 4% out of each one proportionally. So oftentimes, unfortunately, Diane, and this has nothing to do with the investments that are inside of those 401ks, people will forget. They'll just forget that they had all these, IRA, all these 401ks everywhere. They're 74 years old, and they forget to take one of their minimum required distributions. And that is a 50% penalty. That's a that's a lesson you really don't want to learn. So I think that the, the takeaway on what you should consider before you go is make sure you do a net-to-net -net comparison over your objectives and your options, and also perhaps just the simplicity of having your money in a common spot so you have an easier time of tracking it. God forbid something happens to you. Your beneficiaries have an easier time finding the money because one thing I certainly don't want to have happen is I work my entire life, save as much money as I possibly can, forego current, you know, uh, buying shiny things for future growth and future benefit. And then I have an abrupt end of my life unexpectedly. And that money just sits out in the ether and nobody gets it because nobody knew where it was. So there's a lot of reasons why you might want to move it, but don't do it for an illogical one. Make sure you do a uh, analytical research project on whether or not it makes sense. 
obviously that's where professionals come in and my office is happy to help. I don't know why the IRS doesn't take a lesson from these car warranty companies or the student loan people and just, you know, continually remind people. (laughs) Annoy the heck out of us. Exactly. Exactly. It just feels like they're trying to cheat us. Unfortunately, um, on top of that, if you've ever had to deal with the IRS, it's a difficult uh, thing. Their answer times are very difficult. COVID certainly hasn't sped that up. So it's much easier to just stay in the good graces of the IRS than try and fix problems down the line. Let's leave it at that. Maybe don't criticize them on the radio. That might be a good tip as well. Uh, I'm certainly not criticizing them. They have a difficult job, and it's my responsibility to uh, make sure that our government stays on track in the most efficient way possible by sending them the least amount of money that I am legally allowed to. Me, on the other hand, I have been open about my criticism. All right, to schedule an appointment (laughs) to go through the Aptus blueprint process, the Aptus office number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. The recording, in case you miss it, uh, is at aptuswealth.com. We'll have more with Josh Pick when we come back. You are listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, with light hopefully at the end of the COVID-19 pandemic tunnel, how will retirement as a whole be reshaped or changed when things hopefully get back to normal? Well, first, everything I'm going to talk about right now, I don't think COVID was the cause, but COVID may have been the magnifier to trends that were already occurring. For example, um, you know, people are living longer. Shockingly, uh, as much as we hear about COVID, that hasn't changed. Uh, the trend is still continuing that people are continuing to live longer and longer. Um, you know, the life expectancy for a male age 65 is, is about 18 years. Uh, the life expectancy for female age 65 is over 20 years. So, you know, we're living a lot longer than we were. You know, when Social Security was started back in 1935, the average life expectancy was 63. You didn't get to collect until you were 65. Clearly, a very well-funded program. Fast forward to today, and the average female that's 65 today will live to 85 or longer. If you're married and over the age of 65, there is a greater than 50% chance that one of you is going to eclipse age 90. So obviously one trend about retirement is our money has to last a whole heck of a lot longer than it did in previous generations. Another trend is that older Americans perceivably are in better financial shape resulting from COVID than younger Americans. And there's a myriad of reasons for that, but we don't need to dive into all of them. 
but know that people that were kind of already in the point in their career, either nearing retirement and or retired, are faring better financially than younger folks. And we could think of a, a lot of reasons. For example, I'm already retired. I'm living great. I haven't been adversely affected by COVID, but I'm still getting stimulus checks. Versus uh, I'm married, I have three kids, and one of us got laid off and we're getting a stimulus check. Obviously, very dramatically different impacts in the way that those stimulus checks are received. So older Americans actually seem to be somewhat benefiting, financially at least, from the COVID pandemic. Now that said, we said that people are living longer and they're better off financially, but they have some trends have been coming to fruition that have been exacerbated by COVID as well. Meaning interest rates were already at all time lows. They're even lower now. Well, who cares? That makes houses a lot more uh, accessible in the way of fixed interest rates. Well, okay, fair. Uh, I wouldn't say they're more accessible and Diane, you know that better than anybody. Certainly supply is very, very low, but um, it's driven the cost of prices up in houses because you can acquire that house at very low interest rates. So that's a good thing. But the downside to that is, so now I know I'm living longer. We've just come up, we're in the longest bull run in the history of the stock market, meaning the stock market has done nothing but go up by a, like a rocket ship for the last you know, 10, 11 years, 12 years, 13, almost 13 years. So I'm a little nervous about the market pulling back. So I want to start making my portfolio a little safer but if I do that, interest rates are so low that the bond market doesn't look very strong, but I have to make this money last a lot longer than previous generations, and I have to accomplish that with a really unfavorable interest rate environment, meaning that what people used to be able to do in the past is they'd say, well, you know, I want to pull some money off the table here, uh, but I want to generate some income. I can buy bonds earning 5%. So sure, I'm taking some risk in my stock market portfolio with the hopes of getting you know, six, seven, eight, nine percent. But my anchor behind the boat being bonds offers me safety, but I'm still earning five percent. Well, now you're earning one. So I have this problem of longevity and really, really low returns in my fixed income category. The other one that I think is a, a risk that COVID certainly hasn't helped, that people seem to be ignoring a little bit more, even though they're concerned about it, is the future potential issue of long-term care meaning there's about a 50% chance that all of us listening right now at some point will need some long-term care, meaning we'll need to be in a nursing facility of some kind. Well, up to this point, if you didn't have any money, Medicaid picked up the tab. Well, there's going to need to be some changes over the upcoming decades on what our country does with these entitlement programs like Medicaid because the level of underfunding is staggering and whether or not we'll be able to continue to supplement that is in question. I don't know the answer, but I do know that we better have a plan in place to determine or, or to, to handle what we're going to do about the potential of one of, you know, you or your spouse potentially going into a long-term care facility and what financial impact will that have on us because we're living so long. It's, it's perceivable that one spouse could go into a long-term care facility, the other spouse could be remaining alive for you know, 5, 10, 15 years, and how do we make sure that that cost of long-term care does not drain the assets of that surviving spouse? So a lot of challenges that, you know, I wouldn't say COVID created, but that it has certainly uh, thrown a magnifying glass on them and exacerbated them at a quicker rate than maybe we were anticipating.
You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session, to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call. His number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, let's talk about flexibility and how important it is in a retirement plan. Well, Diane, I think this points right back to what we were just talking about, um, you know, in the previous segment, and that is, you know, what did COVID change? And one of those things was interest rates. The other thing was um, the level of the stock market being that we're coming, you know, we're, we've been in this bull run for so long. Um, the fact that people are living longer, et cetera. So let's think about that. You know, conventional wisdom laid out that there was something called this 4% rule. And the 4% rule just simply stated that if you invest your money in a reasonable way, meaning you have about, you know, 50% of your money in stocks and 50% in bonds, it was actually 60-40, but, you know, roughly half and half, as long as you don't take out more than 4% of your total pot of money, so if I had a million bucks, I could pull out $40,000 a year, adjust for inflation at 3%, I'll never run out of money as long as I don't live longer than 25 years, which if I retire at 65, that gets me to 90 and, and hopefully beyond. But if you think about putting 40 or 50% of your money in the bond market, which is essentially earning nothing, will that really come true? Or what would happen if not only are we only earning you know, 1% or 2% in the bond market with 50% of our money, but the other 50% is being invested at a level that's the highest it's ever been? What if that pulls back and we earn nothing? What is the sequence of return risk of volatility in the market depending upon when we retire? Well, does that mean that we just you know, throw our arms up in the air and don't retire? Of course not. But does it mean that we might want to have some flexibility? I mean, think about there's people today that are taking out immediate annuities for the remainder of their life, basing their income for the rest of their life based upon the lowest interest rates in history when there's a potential for inflation down the line and that annuity has no inflation adjustment. They are locking in at the lowest time in history with the potential of more erosion to their purchasing power than has existed in the last 20, 30 years. So I think you know flexibility is very important and that we don't know what the future holds, but we don't necessarily want to lock in all of our money based upon what's happening today. So it's an especially dangerous time for retirees living on fixed income with rates being where they are and bond income being so down and lofty stock valuations to start locking in things today. So we have to be very cautious, make sure we have, we don't, Remember, we were talking earlier about being a trader versus being an investor. We certainly don't want to be a trader. We want to be an investor, but we want to be an investor that has flexibility based upon the fact that we have really not great times in the fixed income world today for the long-term viability of our retirement plan. When people, but people have to know that they don't have to remember all of this. This is exactly why they need a professional. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the objectives of this show and also of, you know, doing research and the, the great benefit of, you know, the fact that we have all this great technology, we can hop online and learn lots of stuff, is to learn information about what the challenges are and also how to pick the right team and the right professional. Um, and, and, and certainly working with a professional isn't, isn't the best case scenario for everybody. I mean, certain people just will always do it by themselves, and that's fine. But if you believe that I want to know enough to know that I need somebody's help, and I want to know enough to know how to pick the right person and the right team to stack the deck in my favor to get the best possible outcome, then that's what this is all about. So 
don't worry about knowing everything that we're talking about on a weekly basis. Just know that these are great topics to spark thoughts in your mind, to ask the right questions, to pick the right person. But we're here to help. Uh, reach out. We're happy to help. And we'll go over these things multiple times a year to make sure we're all on track and to make sure that you understand that you're doing the right things to get to where you need to be. And besides the show, Josh, you also offer educational seminars. Yeah, we do. We did one a, a few weeks ago uh, up here in the Polaris area. And, you know, those are, quite frankly, Diane, getting fewer and fewer between because just, uh, you know, one, the show has been a, a great thing for us and getting with like-minded people and, and being able to help more people. But also, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of referrals and, and great clients. And we have to remain you know, very steadfast in, in making sure that we take care of the clients that we have and we do all the pro- we fulfill all the promises that we, we said we were going to do. But um, I would say about once a month, once every couple of months, we try and do a workshop Reach out to my office. We'll let you know when the next one is. They're always, you know, very local and convenient for everybody, I'm sure, that's listening. And that's a great time to spend an hour, hour and a half together uh, where you can learn a little bit more detailed information on certain topics on whatever we're covering that day. But usually they surround around taxes, retirement income planning, long-term care, all the things that we talk about. And for those listening who would like to talk to Josh and maybe go through the Aptis Retirement Blueprint process, let's go over that process again, Josh. Um, the process is important, Diane, and it's not something that we take lightly, so we never abridge the process because through the process, we make sure that we don't leave any stones uncovered. Um, so again, everybody's situation is different. So in meeting number one, we're going to find out everything that's unique to you. Um, what are your goals? What are your objectives? Um, you know, even the crazy ideas, whatever they might be. And what have you been doing currently? What resources do you have? What ongoing savings are you uh, contributing to try and achieve those objectives. And then meeting two, we call the analysis meeting. We're going to show you what you're doing currently and what that glide path looks like. If you do nothing different, this is the level of risk you're taking, and this is what your future looks like, and what are potential uh, you know, potholes in the road that could get in your way, and what are some potential areas that we can improve upon. And then in meeting number three, we're looking to maximize your scenario. We call it the blueprint meeting, and that's exactly what it is. We're going to give you a blueprint not just talk about theoretical planning, but a blueprint of actionable items that you can do to change your situation and to make sure that we minimize as many speed bumps as we possibly can along the way. And then not until meeting, really the end of meeting three or into meeting four, are we going to determine, is this a mutually beneficial relationship for both of us? Now, I can't guarantee what that outcome is going to be because uh, obviously we can't be all things to all people. But what I can guarantee is through the process, you'll learn a lot. And you'll end up being much more comfortable regardless of whether or not we end up working together with your situation. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. And you can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptiswealth.com. Thanks, everybody, for spending time with us today. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. 364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. 
to learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy. Join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.